Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Today, Gail and I are going to start our series of covering what is going to be coming out this fall of 2019, the books that we're looking forward to from authors who have already published novels. We're going to have a show on debut authors. We're going to look at some paperbacks that are coming out. So we really have a full month, I think, of just basically diving into what happens in the fall, you know, when all the I would say like most of the major authors come out, the titles that people are expected to buy, whether for Christmas gifts or I don't know what it is about this season that it seems like it's the Oscar season for books in a sense. Yeah. And we look forward to it. We look forward to it. I mean, I feel like reading so many thrillers and mysteries come out in January and then we have summer reading season, of course, and that's when... You know, you get to catch up on old books that you haven't read, and then there's a slew of new stuff coming out. And then fall is the other summer and fall are definitely the the big two, the two big seasons for books, and it's interesting that they come so close together. And then I think there's also like a little an interesting thing that happens right around Christmas with gift books. Those also come out relatively early, late September, early October. You see the gift books starting, and I feel like celebrity memoirs. Lots of them come out in. Hmm. September, October, because people get a chance to read them and then they think that they make great gifts. So Gail, do you want to talk about what you have been reading or have you been reading anything? Have you finished up anything? Yeah, so I haven't finished anything. I don't think when we last spoke, I had just returned from vacation and I had read a bunch and we did our, our book club for the travelers. So this week was kind of back to reality, back to work. And I picked up a book. It's not grabbing me. And I almost returned it to the library. It's due. It, I think it, it was due yesterday. I almost returned it to the library yesterday, but I decided I'd give it like one more try. Mm-hmm. But it's the problem is that while I'm sort of giving this book one more try, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not terribly inspired. So I'm not really reading much. The book is called the Summerlings. I think I talked about it on a show earlier this month or maybe the end of July. It's by Lisa Howarth. And it is about a group of boys growing up in D.C. in the 50s. And what I love about it is it takes place like two blocks from my house. And it's got all this detail and locations and names of stores and schools and streets. And it's all authentic to D.C. and it's authentic to my neighborhood. So that's kind of fun. It's about these kids and they live on this like this cul-de-sac. And it being D.C., there are a lot of international families on the block. There's a Jewish family. There's a family from the Netherlands who they suspect were former Nazis. There's diplomats. There's like all this, this kind of mix of people and they all have kids. And it's just about the, how the kids are like sort of trying to figure out the mysteries of the adults. It's like, it's a sweet book. It's a nostalgic book. It's not terribly engrossing and nothing's really happening. And so I'm trying to like force myself to finish it. It's not very long. So that I can start, I want to start our book club book for September, The Real Michael Swan. But I, I'm going to give it like another like half an hour of reading. And if, if I just, if after the next half an hour or hour, I'm not grabbed, I'm going to return it and move on. 
and DNF. So you said it was Summerlings? Oh, yeah. Summerlings. As I, as yeah. That, I mean, it's, that it's cute. cover is very distinctive, the boy with the fly on his face. <laughs> yeah. It's like... A boy with this fly on his face, right. It's I guess there is an infestation that summer Or, or is it spiders. spider? It's a spider. It might be a spider because there's an infestation of spiders in D.C. that summer, which I never knew about. I mean, I'm actually learning stuff about D.C., which is kind of cool. Right. Maybe that for that reason alone, I should just treat this as like a history book and just read it. No, but um, then they, it's going to take you so long to get through it, though. I know. Unless and you, I, and it, what I would do... Why don't you... You it, should use it as your hair dryer book. I will accept that it's overdue. Oh. If that's exactly what I would do is it'd be my hairdryer book and I, it would be like, you know, 10 minutes a day and then over the next month it would just be done. So there's a but line for um, it. You can't renew it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I can't. This has holds. Now, DC gives you a 30-day grace period before it charges you anything. What? Which I do not like to take advantage of. I, I know you DC's should do very it. lenient. I think you should do it. <laughs> <laughs> and just make it my – oh, you're so funny. I feel guilty because someone's waiting for this book. They'll be all um, right. I mean, I should just like they're just waiting suck for other and... books too. So something else will come in that they'll want to read. It's such a good point. No one is sitting at the edge of their seat waiting for Summerlings yeah. and only Summerlings. They probably are are probably grateful for the reprieve. I got a library card so I could check out Summerlings, and this girl has, right. has had it for months. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. All right. Well, I'm going to try to, I almost returned it yesterday. It like got this like 11th hour. I was walking out the door to the library because I had to go for other reasons. I took it out of my purse and then I was like, you know, I'm just, I flipped ahead. and I was like, I'm just going to give it one more chance. So, okay. Well, I will report back next time we talked what happened. Well, there will be some resolution in some direction oh, by the t- next time we talk. The mystery. The mystery. And then on audio, I mentioned this last time, I've I've re-picked up and I'm much further now into In the Pleasure Groove, which is John Taylor's memoir about Duran Duran. And it's awesome. I, I just, I can't get enough of it. Ooh. Do you think you'd feel the same way about that if you were reading it in print? Yeah. I, I actually really wanted to read this in print and I can't find it. Like I didn't want to buy it because it just, you, you know. Don't. For all the reasons, but I can't find it anywhere. Like the library didn't have it, I don't think, and I couldn't. I, I just had a hard time getting my hands on a copy of it without buying it new. And I had actually borrowed it from a friend of mine, and then it sat in my house for like a year, and I felt guilty and gave it back to him. So I then I was like, "This is um, oh," and I couldn't find it on Scribd, which is how I listen to most of my audio. But I had some Audible credits that I got from something. I don't remember where I got the Audible credits from because I don't have an active membership right now. But I had three Audible credits. I was like, oh, this is the perfect thing to use the Audible credits for because I can't get this book in any other format for free. So why don't I just do one of these free credits I have? And it's been great. And actually listening to it on audio has been fantastic. The only thing I'm worrying about is am I missing out on pictures? So I'm I, at some point I want to try to get a, my hands on the hard copy. So if anyone's listening to this and has In the Pleasure Groove, or I'll just go over to my friend's house and look at it on his shelf. But um, I do enjoy looking at pictures when I look at these, when I read these rock memoirs. But you know what I do sometimes is like he'll be talking about a video and he'll be talking about like what he and Simon LeBon were wearing in this video. So I'll like pause the audiobook and I'll pull up the, uh, the um, video and I'll watch the video. And then I'll go back to the audiobook. Or he's talking about an album and when they remixed the song. Then I go on Spotify and I listen to the song. So actually listening to it on audio is kind of fun because you can do this like a multimedia thing at the same time. Right. 
So any mu- 80s music fans out there, this is a good one. So did you keep your membership for Scribd? Uh, yes, I do. It was a gift. It was a gift. And I think I just renewed it. Yeah, I think I did. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I use Scribd all the time. And I love <laughs> – what I love about Scribd is it's – it. You can dabble. Like you can think maybe I'll do this and then download it a little bit and listen to it. And if it's not for you, you can move on. You don't have to commit. You don't have to uh, be on long wait lists. I really like it. Do you have it? No. Yeah, I recommend it. If you you know, if you do a lot of audio, I recommend it. And I think they have all they have ebooks too. So if you're I don't digital think that I do enough audio to do it. Yeah. I think I'm much better off with Audible because I go in dribs and drabs. Right. And those Audible credits last forever. I think they last a year. They used to last forever, but I think it's also one of those things that's really easy. They're about to expire and I don't want them to expire or whatever. I don't know. Or I guess if they're really strict about it to get stuff that I know that I would like to re- listen to at some point. Right. That's good that you found. I've been hearing a lot about the new one, Libro FM, which I might check out just mm. to see how it works. Is that I audiobooks? just really love the way Audible syncs up with my Kindle books. Mm-hmm. And it has me really spoiled because if I listen and then I can pick it up on my phone and it'll, you know, it'll keep everything synced. So if I read some pages and then I go to listen to it on audio, it is at the place that I'm at and I don't have to do anything. So I'm like, I don't know. There's so many features with it that I don't know that I would switch, but I want to check it out. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That is a pretty cool feature. That has sort of spoiled me and made it so that usually if I am going to get, if I have already gotten auto, the audio book, because it'll do it too. If you get like, I can get the audible version of the audio book. And if I, from the library, get my book and, you know, I send it through to my app, it will do it. So it's not even like I have to buy the book from Amazon in order to do it. Mm-hmm. If I take it out from my library, it'll sync it too. And I'm so spoiled now. Like, I, you know, I don't know. I, I just is, don't know. That's if pretty I would, great. I probably will not switch. I'll check it out, but I probably won't switch. You know, everyone just has a system that works for them. Yeah, like, you have to find it. Find it, right. And, you know, like I can definitely appreciate the benefits that you're describing. It, it's not as relevant to me because I don't do any – I don't do almost anything in e-reader. I do everything in either audio or print. So for me, that's not as helpful, but I can see why that would be like uh, like indispensable if I were reading in e-reader and I wanted to switch back and forth with audio. Yeah, I think it works for me particularly because I don't, sometimes I don't read a ton of audio or sometimes it it really works for me if I'm going someplace and I, I can't take a book. If mm-hmm. I have it on, if I've checked it out on my phone, mm-hmm. then I can just have my phone to read that, to, to continue making progress with a book. Because sometimes I, sometimes you just go places and it just makes no sense to be able to take a book. And then for those times I read on my phone. And I think that's what makes it indispensable because for those in-between times when I can't carry a physical book, you know, I mostly carry a physical book that I'm able to continue either listening or reading. And yeah, it's just my thing. 
Yep. Okay, so Scribd, and you joined Book of the Month. Gail didn't refer me. I'm going to talk about this for months now. Uh, You know, I didn't even, it was such an impulse that I just, I I feel terrible. But you joined, so... But I want, I want, I'm interested in what made, what pushed you over the edge. I, it was a complete impulse thing. I was on Instagram and I, somebody, I think it was, I, yeah, no, it was Siobhan had posted the September picks and I was like, you know, this is a cool community. I've, I've been on the outskirts of it for a while. Cause I do like, I'm on like one of the book of the month swap communities and I read all of Sarah's bookshelves posts about the new books coming out. And I just listened to Sarah's episode with uh Siobhan talking about I guess it was the August picks and I don't know like I just was like you know what I I want to be part of this like I don't do it I gotta do it I and and I like that some of them are early releases so you get them early the price is pretty fair it's 15 bucks for a hardcover book which is that's a good deal um it's fifteen dollars I think so why are you paying less well Oh, I think it's because I just pay for the year up front. So I think it's less if you if you do that. Oh, I think I did the monthly. Yeah. So I like their selections. I like learning about the books. I mean, I know I could do all of that stuff without actually enrolling and just, you know, I could just read about right. what they're picking. And But, but I don't know. I just was like, and I want to do this. And you're it. And then I can swap it, right? So I'm in in this community, and some people really like to get like swapped versions of the book of the month one. So like, um, you know, those books have value because people seek them out. And, and now um, every month we can tell people what we picked, and maybe and every, I can be yep. I can be your first swap. We can we can be strategic. Yes, that's another thing I was thinking. You and I could talk about it on the show. So of course I like I'm such an impulsive person. So I just doing did it, it for the podcast. <laughs> doing, doing it for oh, and maybe I can deduct it right because I can say it's like a business expense. <laughs> <laughs> so then I like I looked at the the things kind of quickly and I picked this book. Ten minutes later, I went on I went back on Instagram and I saw Sarah posted her recommendations because they had just come out, and she was like, "Oh, there's one of these I've actually read and it's amazing," and it was not the one I had picked. I was like, oh, damn, why didn't I just wait for her post? So I go back on Book of the Month of the FAQs. I'm like, can I can I change out my order? And they're like, in some circumstances, you can call customer service. So I call customer service. I'm like, I just placed this order an hour ago. It hasn't shipped yet. Can I swap it? He's like, it's really hard to do that, but let me look it up. And he goes, actually, because you just signed up, I can do it. So he's, I swapped it for a different book. You so are so funny. Sh- I know. It's ridiculous. Just so we should talk. Did you pick a book for the September one yet? I did. I was not going to do a September book. I really wanted some old books that they had. And you can't get the old books unless you get a September book. So so you can't do backlist unless you also get a new one. Right. Yeah. You have to be ordering that month in order, you know, because I think they give you each backlist book for $9.99. Oh, you have to order a book. This particular selection of books, I think I had a bunch of them. Or ah, okay. Well, there was the really scary one that I just did not want. Here, I'm pulling up the list now because I can't remember the names of all the titles. I kind of wanted to read while I wanted to read Wild Game, and I think what pushed it again was Sarah saying that it was really good because it was one that was on my list, but it was not high on my list. And then what happened was 
I already have Bringing Down the Duke, which I really wanted to read. And I didn't want to read Chestnut Men because it was like, it's, it's, it says that it's a truly gory killer. Mm-hmm. Squeamish stomachs, you've been warned. So I yeah. didn't want that. Yeah. The contemporary, you know, I'm not a huge contemporary fiction fan. Like, I love literary fiction, but just, just the uh, contemporary fiction, I feel like, is different. I didn't really want it. Okay. And I didn't want the Great Depression book. So, but I did really want some some of the backlist books they had. And I wanted them now, more, yeah. you know, more so, more so than I wanted them later. Like, I wanted to read them, I think... Think, I must have been thinking that I wanted to read them in September. I'll just get, what was it, Wild Game? Yep. I got that, and then I got two others. And these are okay. old books, but I just, I just wanted what, them. Which so. are the other ones you got? Oh, gosh, I have to look because I don't remember. <laughs> but I well, right, well we so need to plan better from now on. Now that, now that, now that I know I've got my sea legs under me. With now this that you're the in thing, the game. In the game, we will plan better, and I will not just fire off and thing like I did. So I initially had in my cart, right. All right. Well, I initially had the contemporary fiction pick, if only I could tell you, in my cart. That's the one I ordered. And then I read Sarah's Sarah's post, and she had said Wild Game was amazing. And I don't know, it sounded interesting. So then I that's what I switched to. So now you and I have the same book. So next time we'll plan better so that we can do more swapping. But although maybe we could read Wild Game together for a book club. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe that maybe that will be our next one. And that's good to know about the the backlist stuff. You should also that's think about because I'm looking at if only I could tell you what you were gonna get an Etoff Room, the author of our um one of our book club picks, A Woman is No Man. She this she was she was the judge for this. Oh she interesting. This one. Yeah. She was actually a judge for that before she wrote her book. Isn't that interesting? She was can, she was part of Book of the Month before she was an author. Right. That's what's nice about the swap thing. So if you're listening to this and you're in Book of the Month, I encourage you to go to the Facebook group Book of the Month Swap because people who may have two books they were interested in do this all the time. They'll, or, they'll order one, read it, and then they swap for other Book of the Month Club books. You know, maybe I'll do some of that as well. Sounds good. All right. Well, now I know. I'm sorry that I didn't get you the referral. That sucks. That's on me. I just had no idea. <laughs> I like again, like I this was like I made this decision in like thirty seconds. You would have got a free book too if you had, but oh, don't tell it's me. all right. <laughs> <sighs> okay, okay. So Gail is a book of the month club member. She uses Scribd. Yes. Right now, I'm not reading anything. You know what I read? I finished Verity by Colleen Hoover. Tell me. I mean, you told me last time what you liked, but tell me how it ended. I'm like for you as a. As a book. I mean, it was one of these books that was okay. I knew, I didn't think the twist was a twist, which is my issue with this book. So I was a little bit bored. It took me, this was a 314 page book with pretty big writing. And it took me all week to finish it because it, it, I wasn't really, I didn't find it compelling. The writing is fine. I don't know. It just kept, it just reminded me of reading fan fiction. Really? Yeah, it did. In what way? No, I mean, it was, it was just very, it was just very straightforward writing in the present, like sort of a present tense writing, which always kind of messes with my head when it's just like, I'm doing this and then we were doing that or whatever. So that's kind of what the whole book reads like. I can't say it was, 
you know, it's just like the story the storyline was fine it's not like it was particularly bad it's actually dual dual narratives in a sense that Lowen is an author who's been struggling like her book hasn't sold well but the husband of Verity Verity's husband the husband of Verity he tells her that Verity was a big fan of her book and they have selected her to finish these books that Verity was writing and Verity at the time is recovering from an accident. It looks like she might have some sort of brain damage or whatever, but she's non-responsive and she goes to their house in order to look through all of Verity's research for these previous books that she's written in order to complete the trilogy so one part is Lowen telling the story of how she gets this job, how she moves into the house and starts doing this research. And of course, she's interacting with Verity's husband and her son. Uh, let me see. Her The husband's name is Jeremy and the son is Crew. So she starts interacting with them. You know, she sees Verity in her condition. It's kind of curious about her condition. She finds a manuscript that Verity had been working on, but this manuscript is an autobiography. It's not fiction. And Verity is known for like writing this really dark fiction from the point of view of the antagonist. So that's her whole thing. And she finds this memoir that she starts reading that she finds to be pretty disturbing. But she's also starting to fall in love with Verity's husband, Jeremy, and develop a relationship with him. So on the one point, she's motivate she would have motivation to i guess reveal what has been going on in this book because it would benefit her and her burgeoning feelings for him i guess i just found it a little simplistic the fact that she is talking about all this work that she's doing for this other series and the other series is like 8 pages long 8 sorry 8 books long and she's just whipping through these books she's like oh yeah i finished reading the rest of verity's books and now i'm working on an outline yet this one manuscript that she's reading for whatever reason it takes her the entire time that she's there and she's saying things like oh i need to read the next chapter to find out it's like well you could have stayed up all night and written read the whole book it was just like things like that that just kind of bugged me and i knew what the i knew what the twist was i mean it was just it was very obvious to me so you know and i'm saying that th- this will be obvious to everyone because it was just one of those things that i read a lot of mysteries i was just like it's going to be this and and that's what it was and it was her slowly reading this like oh i need to find more clues and she reads one chapter. And it's like, but you've read all the other books that this woman has written. You've read the eight other books, but this one book is just for whatever reason, you can only read it one chapter at a time, which is not how people work. <laughs> right. If you're reading something so fascinating, that's supposedly autobiographical and relevant to the situation that you're living in. You're not like, Oh, I can only read one chapter before bed. You sit and you read the whole damn thing. So I don't know. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm glad that you read this. But if you want to read it, (laughs) I can send it to you. No, I'm okay. I just, I just wanted to know about it because I've read so much about it. People talk about it. And if you're not going to read it at the end of this podcast, when we stop recording, I'll tell you. I'll further rant on what the twist was and why I was just super, super annoyed. All right, I look forward to it. But it did have some other interesting issues and topics that brought up that I feel like will make good podcast topics. So who knows? 
I will pitch those to you and then maybe later on we will have a show and we'll let you know whether Verity was the book that sparked the idea for whatever show it is that we're doing. Because there were some things that were just just interesting. All right, good. So yeah, and that, that kind of sucked the joy of reading for me. So I didn't read anything else. I just, but I did pick up Patsy by Nicole Dennis Ben, which I'm really excited to read. Oh yeah, you wanted. So that. that's going to be my next read. Yeah. Okay. All right. So now that we have talked and you know done all the talking about <laughs> <laughs> book of the month, <laughs> scribbed, why I probably will never leave Audible. <laughs> What is on tap for the fall for you? So All right. this show, we decided to choose eight books that we wanted to talk about that who have already written books. These are not debut authors. These are people who either we've read or who've published books before. And we w- were most looking forward to reading their books. And we each chose eight. And as per our usual, I have no idea what's on Gail's list. Gail doesn't know what's on my list. And so we're going to see, you know, so maybe you'll get 16 new books to <laughs> or maybe be excited you'll get for, or maybe you'll get eight. We don't know. Yeah. I'm going to guess that we have one, two, at least two and possibly three overlap. That's my guess. My guess is we don't have any. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Because right. there's some pretty specific things that I'm looking forward to. Okay. That I don't know that you are. So, but let's start. Let's All right. Let's get to it. All right. So what's well, your I'll first one? I'll start with the fall behemoth that is, it may not be on your list, but it is definitely on mine and I've seen it on a lot of lists. It's not. Okay. Is it the Testament? No. That's not even on oh. mine. All right. Oh, wow. So mine Okay, so we is, have to mention that one though, because it's just too big not to mention it That's at the all, new Margaret on. Atwood, right? Yes, it yeah. is. Okay. All right. Well, we mentioned it. Margaret Atwood has a new book coming out. Is it actually a sequel to The Handmaid's Tale or is it, it is just... It is a sequel to The Handmaid's Tale. Okay. It's 15 years later. So you find out, I guess, The Handmaid's Tale, of course, ends with the main character being whisked away, but you're not sure where she's being whisked away. We're not sure if it's like good or bad that she's... Whether this rescue is one that is legitimate or not. Okay. So. This book takes place 15 years after that, and I guess we'll answer those questions of what has happened to this woman. Okay. I I read The Handmaid's Tale ages ago, like probably when I was in college, and my daughter read it this summer. And so I will let her know that the the new one's coming out and see if she's interested in reading it. Um, Okay. So that didn't make my list. Did she like The Handmaid's Tale? She actually didn't love the writing i don't i think she found the story interesting she's kind of really interested in like feminist dystopia because as soon as she finished that she was like what else should i read so i was telling her about like red clocks and uh vox so maybe it felt dated to her um maybe i don't know maybe she thought it was repetitive i don't know i should ask her she's upstairs i should have her come down and do a little guest quick, quick guest review um <laughs> yeah, I don't know. She just did, she did this, wasn't crazy about the writing. So, um, okay. you know, I'm, and maybe Margaret Atwood has evolved over the years. I don't know. So I'll see if she's interested. I think the in- last book that I read of Margaret Atwood was The Heart Goes Last. And my comment on that is like Margaret Atwood, she's written so many novels that she can do whatever she wants. And I think that that was that her book where she did whatever she wanted. Mm. I'm sure it was a metaphor for something, but there was just like, 
people who were involved, you know, who were having sexual relationships with teddy bears or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. You've talked about that. Right. And I was, yeah. I just could have just like, this is her. I'm just going to do whatever I want. And you're going to publish it because I'm Margaret Atwood. Right. I'm sure that there was some redeeming theme, but, and I have forgotten a lot of it except for that, but. I read a lot of her books in like the early 2000s. Like I read like The Robber Bride and The Blind Assassin. And I haven't read anything by her since then. Um, and I remember, you know, I did read Cat's Eye and I read The Handmaid's Tale, but it's been a long time. So I didn't, I, I didn't have Testament on my list just because I'm not, I'm not that person. You don't want to know. To you read don't want to. Yeah, you don't care what happened to Offred. I mean, I guess I can't. I, I mean, if I had read the, the Handmaid's Tale more recently, perhaps I would. Yeah, and I haven't watched the series. Like I didn't get into the show, so I don't know. Yeah, I couldn't watch it. Yeah, it was just too much rape. It was just too much, oh, or just like sex with the wife watching, and it was just ugh. Oh God. All right, no. Okay, so The Behemoth for me is The Dutch House by Ann Patchett. Okay. And um, I had a I, feeling that was going to be on your list. It's, you know, and I was just thinking, I don't know why Ann Patchett is not a go-to for me. Because I loved Run and I loved Bel Canto. Bel, I mean, that's to me, that's like top five of all time books. I loved Bel Canto. Ann Patchett's a little hit or miss for me. I didn't love Run. I did like Commonwealth. Um, I loved... Loved, love Bel Canto. Um, State of Wonder was okay for me too. She's. I'll probably read pretty much anything she writes. I may not like everything she re- she writes, but I'll read it. And the Dutch House sounds up my alley. And it's about a house and two siblings. Two and I, maybe the siblings are estranged. I don't remember, but they they are left the house as when their parents die. Something I I don't even really know the full fact pattern, but it is a family drama that involves a house somewhere and how these two have to learn to get along or, you know, figure reconcile their past. So I don't know all the details of it, but just knowing that it is a family drama from Ann Patchett is enough for it to make my list. Um, I did not get this book at book expo. I wanted it. I don't have it. So I I will be looking out for it in the various swap um, (laughs) communities once it hits, you know, once it's published and people start reading it. Or maybe some, once the arcs start making it out into the market. But uh, this is definitely on my list. Um, you know what? I forgot to write down all the uh, release dates. So I'll do that right now. I'll find out when it comes out. I think it's this month. The Dutch House by Ann Patchett. Um, you know, and Ann Patchett is going to get a ton of publicity no matter what she writes. So this, I'm just going to think this book will be everywhere. September 24th is when it comes out. A richly moving story that explores the indelible bond between two siblings, the house of their childhood, and a past that will not let them go. I think that Sarah from Sarah's Bookshelves read this and really liked it, and uh, it's it's like number one on my list of books I want to get my hands on. So that is my first one, and we have no overlap so far. Nope, and I don't think we will, because my next pick is The Liar by Eilat Gunder Gushin. She wrote the book that is probably my closest book in terms of this podcast anyway. It's probably the closest that I come to mentioning a book as many times as Gail has mentioned. (laughs) Kitchens. Kitchens of the Great Midwest. I mean, it's, it's not even close. 
in comparison <laughs> to how many times Gail has mentioned kitchens, but I think it's probably the book that I have mentioned the most that I've read since we started this podcast. She wrote Waking Lions, which is about this really suspenseful literary fiction thriller about this woman who blackmails a doctor who hits her husband who's walking home off the side of the road. Like he hits this man, he drives away from the scene, you know, in a panic, but he had gotten out to see whether the man was alive. And it looked like it was clear he was dying. He speeds off. He leaves his wallet behind and his wife shows up the next day. And of course his life is never the same. She asked him to do different things. Of course her silence has a price. And so he's trying to juggle what it is that she demands of him with his family. And he gets involved in a whole bunch of stuff. I thought it was, it was really well written, said a lot of interesting things about culture the man that he hits is, um, I believe he's either, he's Ethiopian or Eritrean. And so you get a lot about that culture and book is set in Israel. So I want to say it's in Haifa. Haifa? Yaffa? Haifa. Haifa. Mm -hmm. I was right the first time. Yeah. So you just get really into two different cultures and see how like they have a lot of African immigrants there. And so the immigration aspect it, from an international perspective. I just thought it was fascinating. So she has a new book out. It's called The Liar. And it's about a teenage girl. And it's uh, her name is Nofar. And they say that, you know, she's just so average that she is not visible. So she, she tells these stories. And one time she tells a lie that the press then picks up. Seems like it gathers a life of its own. And then she meets a woman who is described as an elderly immigrant whose friend has just died. And the only way that this person can keep their friend alive is through memories and stories. So I, it sounds like both of these women or this young girl meets this older woman and the lies or the stories that they have chosen to tell snowball in ways that okay. they can't imagine and that have larger consequences and it says that it, it, it just, it says with dark humor and deep insight. So the humor part has me scared. It reveals the far reaching consequences of even our smallest choices and explores the hidden corners of human nature to reveal the liar and the truth teller in all of us. It's an upside down ice cream cone, which is the, which is the cover on like a pastel. pastel blue cover so yeah anytime you see dropped ice cream you just feel like something ter terrible has happened right <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> it's funny <laughs> it's like it's not only does something terrible happen but like the fact that it's ice cream it's sort of like lost innocence like right like yep. it's like a spoiled childhood <laughs> <laughs> you know people That's were not happy like, yeah Totally. Okay. So my next book is, and I'm going to confess I don't know a whole lot about this book, but it is um, Elizabeth Strout's book, Olive Again. And I actually have it here in my hand, which I picked up at Book Expo. So this is Elizabeth Strout, who I love, wrote uh, Olive Kittredge, which, for which she won the Pulitzer Prize. And then she's written, I think this is her second offshoot of um 
characters or stories from Olive Kittredge. Olive Kittredge was kind of linked stories, most of which were related to one main character, Olive Kittredge, who's kind of this cranky older woman who lives in New England. I think it's Maine. And yes, it is Maine. And so she then wrote, I thought was another book that had offshoot stories. Oh, yes. And I read that one. And I'm going to blank on the name. But um, it was uh, other stories that came from Olive Kittredge. And now she's written a book called Olive Again. And this one is back to Olive Kittredge. And it says, the iconic Olive struggles to understand not only herself and her life, but the lives of those around her in the town of Crosby, Maine. Uh, Whether with a teenager coming to terms with the loss of her father, a young woman about to give birth, a nurse who confesses a secret high school crush, or a lawyer who struggles with an inheritance she doesn't want to accept, the unforgettable olive will continue to startle us, to move us, and inspire moments of grace. So I just like those stories. I like the, the idea of kind of focusing on a town and the different stories happening in the town. I liked the first one, and so to me this seems like a no brainer. Um, I didn't like that, that one whose name I can't remember. I'm going to look it up right now. Um, and I, part of it is I did it on audio and I think the audio wasn't great. And so I'm curious if I had read it, um, without, if I'd read it in print, maybe I would have liked it more, but I'm excited, just excited to get, to get back to this one. And I don't know, everything about that description sounded appealing to me. Hmm. I have yet to read anything by Elizabeth Strout. Well, so I read a few books, a few of her novels pre uh, Olive, Kittredge. Olive Kittredge. Amy and Isabel was one and one called Abide With Me. And I really liked those. Then I read Olive Kittredge, which I liked. Then the one I did not like was My Name is Lucy Barton. And um, I think she took a few strands of stories from Olive Kittredge and spun it off to create Lucy Barton. And so some of the characters in Lucy Barton were sort of bit players in um, Olive Kittredge. I may, I may have that totally wrong, but that's vaguely what I remember from it. But it was very much of a standalone book, and you didn't have to have read Olive Kittredge to have read Lucy Barton, and it's certainly not like part of a series. It's, you don't have to have read Lucy Barton to go back to Olive Kittredge or to read Olive again. So um, I would take my name is Lucy Barton kind of out of the equation and just focusing on these. Um, I, I just... I'm excited to I'm excited to read uh, Olive again. Have you read all of her books? There's one called The Burgess Boys, which I didn't read, so I'm not a completist yet. Mm. Are you Are you tempted? Yeah, I am tempted. I would like I would read The Burgess Boys. Here I'm looking at okay Olive again. That's this one. Anything is possible. Oh wait, did I read Anything Is Possible? That is. What is anything as possible? I don't think I read that either. Maybe that's also connected. Burgess Boys didn't read. Olive Kittredge to buy with me and Amy Nisbell. No, so I'm like three books away from being completist. I've got I've got my work to do for okay, that. but I I really like her, and uh, this I was psyched to pick this one up. So that is this one is coming out on um, October the fifteenth. And I don't know if you have to have read Olive Kittredge to read this one or to enjoy this one. That's a that's a question which I could probably answer after I've read it. Right. Well, it sounds like Lucy Barton was only loosely connected, but yeah, I'm looking sure. up what anything is possible is because 
It is possible I'm getting these confused in that Lucy Barton is not at all related. Oh, I think this one is connected to Lucy Barton. That may be why I didn't read this one. It was because it was connected to Lucy Barton. And you didn't like Lucy Barton. And I didn't like Lucy Barton. Yeah. So anyway, if I get to this one, I will report back and maybe maybe I'll revisit some of the ones I'm, that I missed by her. Yeah, the Burgess Boys, I think I remember it being something that maybe I would have enjoyed reading. Yeah. Well, if you're going to read her, I would probably recommend either starting with Olive or maybe even reading one of her two earlier ones, because I thought those were really good. I'd like to bide with me a lot. And Amy and Isabel was her first, and that's a mother-daughter book. I, I still remember that book. I liked it a lot. What is Abide by Me by about? Abide by Me, I think, is about a pre like a, a priest or a um a minister and like his wife dies and it's about he hires a housekeeper to come and help him with his kids. And I think it's about their relationship. Mm. And maybe the town is scandalized by relationship. I mean, she focuses, she does small towns really well. And the, the oppression of having emotional secrets in a town where, in places where everyone knows your business. Mm. I think she, I think all of her books are set in like small New England towns and they're about like, yeah, this says to... Northern New England in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been years since I read that book. But I, from what I recall, it's like, you know, trying to sort of live a, a rich emotional interior life when you're surrounded by people who are always judging what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And Amy and Isabel was kind of like that, too. So they they remind me a bit of Joyce Maynard, a bit of Labor Day, kind of that whole feeling that of like having being judged by people around you and trying to find personal happiness. Okay. My next book ties into that in the sense that it is set in the Midwest during the Depre- Great Depression. It's called The Sisters of Summit Avenue. It's by Lynn Cullen. I really like Lynn Cullen. She wrote Mrs. Poe, which I enjoyed, which is from the perspective of you know the wife of Edgar Allan Poe. And she also wrote a book called Twain's End, which I really wanted to read, but of course have not read yet. So she does historical fiction really well. I really like the treatment of going in and being able to see the lives of famous artists through people who love them or people who supported them. This one is a little bit different. It's still historical, but it is about two sisters, one who is raising four daughters. Her husband is in a care facility because he has a sleeping sickness, which made me think of the dreamers. I'm like, does he have that sleeping sickness? (laughs) So he's been comatose for eight years. She's raising her She's raising their four daughters. And so she does not really have any support. She's jealous of her sister, June, who's someone who's married a wealthy doctor. Um, She has a coveted job. Like June develops recipes as one of the Bettys, I guess. So is very popular in that respect. But June is really bitter because Ruth ends up married to the man, you know, the only man she's really loved. And their mother engineers them getting together, I guess, to repair their relationship. But it says the mother has secrets of her own that could impact them 
being able to find their way to back to each other. So it is a drama about sisters by someone whose work I really loved. Like I really loved Mrs. Poe. I will get to Twain's in at some point, but this is coming out and it sounds really good. And it's out relatively mm. soon. It'll be out September 10th. So Ooh, right around the corner, get your hands on it next week. Okay, my next one is by an author that I'm a little hit or miss with. So I'm I'm adding this to the list with a little bit of trepidation. But the book is called All This Could Be Yours, and it's by Jamie Attenberg. <laughs> I thought you had put and her on the discard pile. You said no. Or was no, no, no. That was Anne Hood. Anne Hood, yeah, Anne Hood's made the discard pile. Sorry, Anne Hood. Um who I remember meeting in line at Book Expo. She was lovely, so I feel bad saying that. So I've read two books by Jamie Attenberg. I read The Middle Scenes, and I read, I think it's All Grown Up. Is that what that yes. book is called? Um, and I didn't love either one of them. I liked The Middle Scenes because it was narrated by M- Molly Ringwald, who I thought did a great job with it. Middle Scenes is about an older Jewish matriarch of a family, and she's – kind of having health issues and it's about like her relationship with her family. And then all grown up is about a woman who's in her thirties, who's sort of had, she can't like, she's very emotionally immature. Like she can't settle down. She can't take responsibility for her life. And it's kind of about her family and how she relates to them. This one is another family story called all this could be yours. This comes out, uh, I'm not sure when it comes out sometime this fall. I'll look up the the date. And it is another family drama. It's about a woman who returns home when her father is on his deathbed. And apparently she had a um, conflicted relationship with him because he's supposedly kind of a jerk. And she goes home to sort of reconcile her feelings about her father and also to talk to her mother about the relationship that she had with her husband. And so the, about the dysfunction of this family, this says, all this could be yours is a timely piercing exploration of what it means to be caught in the web of a toxic man who abuses his, who abused his power. What I thought sounded interesting about this is that element of it, that it sounds like he is presented as a guy who sort of a me too figure who has, taking advantage of his power through life. And now that he's dying, his family, I guess, has to decide if they want to forgive him and get to the bottom of what he did. I mean, she's a funny writer. I, I think I liked All Grown Up better than I liked The Middle Steens. The Middle Steens felt farcical, almost in a way like Bernadette did. And I don't, I'm not a fan of Bernadette and Middle Steens, I kind of put in the same category. All Grown Up had a little more nuance to it to me. And so I'm I'm interested to see what she's done with this one. It's funny. They put Amazon list this as um, in, they, they call, categorize it in Jewish American fiction, mm. which I find kind of funny. I think of this more just in as contemporary fiction. But it comes out on, Oct- on October 22nd. And I think you'll probably see this book around quite a bit. Probably. So that is, yeah, that's one of my picks. Have you read any Jamie Attenberg? No. Mm-mm. Yeah. And based so, on what you've said, I probably won't. Yeah. But that's interesting how Amazon does categorize that. But I think that happens 
a lot, things get categorized as ethnic fiction when they're probably just fiction. Right. The author happens to be Jewish. Doesn't mean it's Jewish fiction. The middle scene certainly had a huge Jewish component to it. I mean, it certainly felt like the characters were definitely Jewish and they talked about it a lot. Um, I don't remember all growing up whether they were or not. I thought I had it on my shelf, but I'm looking and I don't. So I either, that was a library book or I either passed it along. I think I may have passed it. Where'd You Go Bernadette is actually out as a movie. Is it in theaters yet? And I feel like it's in theaters. And I I say this because it always, oh, it, yeah, it is in theaters. It's getting, it's not getting great reviews. I just can't get excited about it. I hated the book. So I can't. Kate really Blanchett is in it. Yeah. Six point six out of ten on i on IMDb. Wonder what its rot, hmm. Rotten Tomato score is. But I'm not gonna look. I'm not that curious. All right, my next book is by Lee Bardugo. It's called Ninth House. Lee wrote this YA trilogy that I really loved which I don't think I ever finished the last one, the last book. And I love the first two books. I don't know if it took the third book a long time to come out. And by the time I got, by the time it released, I don't know if I remembered enough. I'm sure I'll probably go back and finish the series. But anyway, she has written an adult novel, which seems like it is right up my alley because it is about a secret society at Yale a young woman named Galaxy Stern is sort of getting a redo of her life, like her family. She had always had a troubled life. Like she dropped out of school. She was selling drugs and just kind of had gone down the wrong path. And then she is the victim. Basically, she, she survives a homicide that kills her family. And she wakes up in a hospital and she is being given the opportunity to go to Yale on a full scholarship. And of course, the question is why she takes the opportunity to restart her life and she goes and she starts getting involved with a secret society. But at the same time, she's always looking to discover why it was so important that she get this opportunity. And I think that it dovetails with her involvement with the secret society. It's a little bit of a mystery. It's, it says it's a novel of Power, privilege, dark magic, and murder set among the Ivy League elite. So, so sometimes they raise the dead and sometimes they prey on the living. <laughs> it's a black cover with a, with a dark snake on it. So that is, so I'm really excited for that. Like I, I liked her YA books. I love the writing. You know, sometimes with YA books, they're either, sometimes they're super dramatic or it just really depends. But hers always felt like, the ones that more respected young readers and were more adult-like in writing. That sounds very intriguing. Yeah. So far, we have given you six books, five books. We six. have not overlapped at all. Not at all. And we might, maybe you're right, we may not at all. Okay, so my next one is one I also picked up at Expo, I think. It's called The Topeka School by Ben Lerner. Hmm. <laughs> And is, is Ben Lerner you, a... Ben Lerner, you know, is, have Ben Lerner issues. I've talked about them. I think we did talk about them. I mean, not really uh, I don't issues remember with what him, issues but were. no, it was more about people. It was more about... Say, he wrote this book called Leaving the Atosha Station, which reminded me of 
another book that was written by, oh gosh, what was that little book about marriage sort of written in vignettes? You really liked it. Department of Speculation. Department of Speculation, yes. And I was talking to this guy who had read both books and he kind of dismissed Department of Speculation, but he really praised leaving the Atosha State Station. And I both and I felt like they were both similar. And <laughs> it was just annoying. But Well, I don't know how anyone can dismiss Department of Speculation, which I thought was a fantastic book. Right. But yeah. But and annoying. then ten nineteen I tried to listen to and I really couldn't get into it. But I think oh, 1004. 10.04. I think that would yeah. have been better if I had read it. I don't think it was a book that I should have listened to. So I might try mm. to read it again, but it's just very, it's very interesting that you're into his latest book. So tell us about it. Yeah. So I haven't read anything by him. So I'm coming to him new. Um, this book is, it's so funny. It says a tender and expansive family drama set in the American Midwest at the turn of the century. And of course you hear that and you think the 1900s, right? You think like, it's going to be just from that description, turn of the century, you think it's the last century, but no, it's this century. So um, it's about a kid who is a senior in high school, class of 97. His parents are both um, therapists. They um, uh, are dealing with different challenges. It says, the school story of a family, its struggles and its strengths, his mom's reckoning with the legacy of an abusive father, the father's marital transgressions, the challenge of raising a good son in a culture of toxic masculinity. So it sounds um, good. It does sound good. The trolls and tyrants of the new right, the ongoing crisis of identity among white men. You know, I read so many uh, books about women, by women, about women, for women. I mean, you and I have talked about this at one of our challenges to ourselves this year was to read more male authors. And this is not only as a male author, but this is a book about men and from the male perspective. I mean, there's like J. Ryan Straddles, a male author, but he writes about women. This is actually one about men. And I feel like it balances out my list a little bit because I have so many women authors on this list. Um, and I don't know, I like the idea of something contemporary that takes on, uh, you know, this, I, this notion of toxic masculinity and the identity, you know, what is it like to be a man in this time and have all these sort of messages saying, you know, that you're bad or, or that, you know, that there's this been this culture that's been so pervasively um, hard for women. So I don't know. I I thought this looked good. It, it's got a very ominous looking cover. It feels like, you know, maybe he is kind of an it boy, like you were saying, but um, I don't know this. I, I, th I thought this merited a place on the list. Yeah, his first novel, Leaving the Atosha Statement, it was one of those novels that came out on a very small press and was heavily critically acclaimed. And I think that he switched. I think he's at a bigger publishing house now. I'm, I don't really remember. As I'm thinking about 1019 and one of, 1004, sorry, one of the things that bo yeah. <laughs> bothered me about that book was it was... It was really meta. It was one of those books that was about a white author who had written a successful book who's now trying to do his follow-up and write a second book that's relevant. And, of course, that was what he was trying to do. It, I don't know. It, I don't know. It bugged me. Okay. <laughs> but this one does well, sound I... this one does sound very good and if if someone should you know i guess if we should hear about the white male 
perspective on toxic masculinity, his would be one to go to. Um, I think that he is with, I'm trying to remember what publisher I want to say it was like Macmillan or something. I, cause I think I got it at book expo at like, you know, a big, a big line. Right. Um, and I think it was one of those like ticketed, you had to, you had to go or go at nine, get a ticket to get it. And then come then back. Then come back. Let's see who it was. I'm just looking up to see who the publisher is for, oh, FSG. Mm, yeah. Is, are they owned by anyone? I believe they're owned by, I think it's Macmillan. Yeah. I think it was at Macmillan because they were doing that ticket drop thing. Like you, you could only I'm not pick surprised one. that he's with FSG. It sounds, it seems like the imprint he would be on. Yeah. From what they publish. All right. And Ben Lerner's riveting third novel, Midwestern America, is in the late 90s, becomes an allegory of our troubled present. Hmm. Yeah. Like, I never read Ohio last year, and I, this feels similar to me. But smaller? Just in terms of... <laughs> <laughs> yes, a little smaller. But they both have these, like, kind of, like, depressing covers of, like, dark Midwestern, like, scenery. Right. So, anyway. So that's the Topeka School. It comes out on October 1st. By Ben Lerner. Okay, so my next author has written, she writes the series that I really like. It, I guess you would call it, it's the Duncan Kincaid and Gemma James series. This is the 18th entry in the series. I didn't start it from the beginning. The first book that I read from her was called No Mark Upon Her. And at that point, the two detectives, the two lead, the two detectives that it follows in this series have married adopted children together and have this blended family that they are trying to mix in England in raising their kids and both being detectives on a police force and all the things that go along with that. So I think that no mark upon her is a good entry into this series. If you don't want to go all the way back to book one, because I think a lot of things have been tied up and it starts to focus on, them, the kids they've adopted, and cases going forward. And that's where I start. I really like her books. So she has a novel. The 18th one is called A Bitter Feast. This is probably also a good place to enter into this series just because there had been some cases that were going on that were prominent through the last three books that have basically been wrapped up and it starts off with them being on vacation and something happening and things go from there. So I'm being intentionally vague about this because of course this is the 18th book in the series. So if you're someone who wants to go back and read them all from the beginning, then, you know, <laughs> this being the 18th book of the series is not very helpful. All I can say is that I really enjoy her writing I haven't gone all the way back to the beginning, but in talking to people who really love this author and this series, they did mention that in the beginning, they were more sort of, I think described as just a much lighter mystery, like much less in, in, intricate. But then as the characters become involved, and I think you get to know the people who, the detectives and and people who they interact with over the books that they do become deeper and have evolved into what they are now. So I can't even speak to going all the way back in the beginning. I think that the experience would be really different. It's something that 
I might try to do because I real I do like her her writing, but they're in competition with lots of books. But I am looking forward to a bitter feast, and it's coming out this fall. Okay. Uh, all right. My next one is probably the one I thought was most likely to be on both of our lists, but the fact that you haven't mentioned it yet makes me think that it isn't. Um, and that is the new Emma Donahue mm. called Akin or Akin. So Emma Donahue, best known as the author of Room, and I will confess it's that's the only book I've read by her. I started another one, Frog Music, was that was what it was called? Mm-hmm. And I that was a rare DNF. I just could I was doing that on audio and just could not get into that book. But I loved Room and I've heard her speak and so I'm intrigued and wanted to hear more. So this is a completely different book from Room. Um this is about a professor who takes his great nephew to the French Riviera in the hopes of uncovering his own mother's wartime secrets in the next masterpiece from Emma Donahue. So he lives on the Upper West Side, but he's from France. Um, he is supposed to go back to Nice to sort of discover what happened to his mother, but then he finds out there's this nephew who needs someone to look after him, and so he, out of obligation, takes him on the trip. Um, this says written with all the tenderness and psychological intensity that made room an international bestseller. Uh, Akin is a funny heart wrenching tale of an old man and a boy who unpacked, unpicked their painful story and start to write a new one together. So it doesn't sound much like room at all, except that it has a young boy in it. Um, but she, I thought room was so creative and different and intensely written and interesting and structured that um, I, I'm curious about this one. So I actually picked this one up at book expo. I have it. And um, I thought I would add it to the list. I really like Emma Donahue. Probably the reason that is not on my list is I looked at it and for whatever reason, I don't know, just did not add it to my list because you're right. That would have been the book that we overlapped on. I didn't read Room, but I read this book called The Wonder by her, which I really liked. I think that she's an author who probably tends to, um, I think that she writes very different books each time that she comes out with a book. Room mm-hmm. was its own thing. The Wonder is its own thing because it's this book. It's about a Protestant nurse who goes to a Catholic country to be the the nurse for this woman or not this woman, this family, this little girl thinks that she is, she's experiencing some kind of visions or she's experiencing something, but she's also not eating anymore. So like this 11 year old girl and the community is very involved in like what if this, this mystery or this, what, what's going on. It seems like it's a miracle and it's a deeply religious community And of course, the nurse has competing, she's a nurse, she has scientific reasons to be skeptical of what's going on in this community. But she's also a Protestant in a Catholic community, which very much colors her vision of how she sees them because it's 1859. I mean, Ireland has always had a contentious relationship with England. But Protestants and Catholics, you know, Protestants really look down on Catholics at a time when this would have been really relevant or would have made a difference. 
It is such an interesting book. I don't think it's one, it's one of hers that I think might be too far off the path for most people, especially since Room was such a, you know, Room was such a different book. But yeah, I think she's great. What made you decide not to read Room? It's a captivity book. Yeah, that's what I figured. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's what I figured. It's the ultimate captivity book. Do you see the movie? No. Yeah. I hear you. I mean, I thought it was amazing. I thought the movie was great, but I, it, it's an extremely uncomfortable book to read. So I can see why you took a pass on it. All right. So my next book is from an author who is prolific. And I have I have a hit and miss relationship with her. It's Joyce Carol Oates. Mm-hmm. And I feel like for as many books, <laughs> she as, writes more books than anybody. She writes more books than anybody. She probably had 10 books come out this year. There's actually a book that's coming out that I just got a copy of called The Pursuit. And she writes for, she writes such different books that they appear on different imprints. Like they don't even, they don't even overlap. Like Echo publishes, I think, her books that are considered more literary fiction. And sometimes she writes these horror, more books that are more horror (laughs) that like, mysterious press or or grove will publish so she doesn't could you imagine being her editor like you wouldn't have time for anyone else and i wonder if she has multiple editors she must the genres are so i mean she swings so wildly from one genre to the next that i don't know if she even she probably has a different editor with each house that she's with like, I think maybe her, her Grove Atlantic editor is different from the editor that she has at Echo. But you, you, I mean, you're absolutely right. I don't know. So she could just have multiple. She could have one editor who's just overworked and constantly editing <laughs> her books. I'm not sure. That's something that I'm curious to investigate now. Yeah. I feel bad for Joyce Carol Oates because she is so prolific that I think people sort of like that she doesn't get as much attention with each new release as she probably deserves. Well, no, I, I don't agree with that just because I feel like her books are uneven. It's not like she, Mm. she's writing lots of books, but I don't feel like each book that I've read by her, I, I mean, they're hit or miss genre aside, even within, if you just take when she's just writing literary fiction, I think, the books that she's known for are what we are the Mulvaney's blonde, which was the, the one that was about Marilyn Monroe. Mm -hmm. She had one that I want to say was, was about a rape case that I cannot think I want to feel like the title may have had something to do with, or maybe that was, we were the Mulvaney's. I'm not sure, but that was, we were the Mulvaney's even within her own, like within a genre that she's writing. I feel like, She's written some great books, and then she's written some books that are like, eh. Which, when you're yeah. writing as many books as you are, is to be expected. But I also think that that's why she doesn't. I mean, she still gets attention. I think that in literary fiction, like with Echo, she probably gets a lot of attention. She's not one of these authors where she's writing all these books, and each one is is amazing. Okay, so The Pursuit is one of her novels that is coming out on Mysterious Press, And it is about this woman who keeps having recurring nightmares about, she dreams about skulls in a field 
She has just gotten married. Okay, let me start again. This woman, she she marries a sweetheart that she has met. I believe she's a nurse somewhere. She's someone who's come from a very troubled background. And she has these recurring dreams of like human skulls and bones and, and these feels. So she marries this man who she, by all accounts, she loves and is wonderful. And 24 hours later, she steps out in front of traffic and she's hit by a bus. So the entire novel is about determining what has made her, what, you know, who does this? And that's what that's about. And it says that, I guess, at some point she will wake up from this experience and she begins revealing to her husband aspects of her past and what what would have caused her to do such a thing the day after she gets married. It's called The Pursuit. So hopefully it's one of her better better ones. <laughs> it says, A suspenseful alternating narrative that travels between the present and Abby's tortured childhood. It's meticulously crafted, deeply disquieting tale, and it showcases Oates' masterful storytelling. And it's 144 pages, so. Oh, well, that's. So there's that. To do it. <laughs> um, okay, so my next one is by an author I have read before. Um, it's called Right After the Weather by Carol Anshaw. Now, I didn't love the last book she wrote. It was called um, Carry the One. and But I liked it enough that I'm intrigued by this one. And it's about a woman who's living in Chicago. And her ex-husband's living in her spare bedroom. And um, it's about she witnesses a... Um, an assault that happens to her best friend. And it's about the aftermath of the assault and how it affects her and how it affects their community. And um, I like her books because they're very character driven and they're about kind of tra- what people going through stressful or traumatic situations and how they resolve them and how it, how it, um, you know, how they, how they, how they manage to survive them. So I picked this up at book expo and, um, I just, I just liked the, the fact pattern and the, the fact that it is so character driven and it comes out on October 1st. And again, that's called right after the weather by Carol Anshaw. Did you read Carrie the one? I did it. Have you ever heard of her before? I heard of Carrie the One. It was there was a lot of buzz around that book, right? Yeah, that was the one. Um, I'm just pulling it up right now so I can remind myself what that one was about. It's about a wedding reception and a car accident that happens on the ride home from the wedding. <laughs> and sorry, hi. You can't be in here while I'm recording because I can. We can hear you. No, it's. I, but I just heard you coughing. Yeah, so I'll be done pretty soon. Okay, see. Sorry, Nate just came in. <laughs> I heard him cough. Okay. No, I know I heard him cough. <laughs> I know. So Carrie, the one is about. There is a, a car accident that happens on the ride home from the wedding, and it's about how this car accident affects all of the people 
for the remaining, the following 20 years. And I remember at the time I wrote this, and I remember now thinking back when I read this, so I read it in 2012, and I found that plot construct a little artificial, like that, not to say that the car accident wasn't terribly traumatic for the people involved, and certainly for the family of the person who was hit by the car, but um, I think that it 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 found, it was a little bit forced the way that the next 20 years tracked this girl so closely and the impact of her death on the rest of them. So I didn't love just the way it was structured, but I did enjoy her writing and I enjoyed the descriptions and the characters. So this one, I'm excited to give, to give a try to this one too, because it sounds like this one. I mean, again, there's sort of a traumatic uh, shared experience at the beginning, but I'm hoping that it won't feel as, as kind of um, as forced as the other one did. Right. All right, so my next book is the hotly anticipated Ta-Nehisi Coates mm. historical fiction slave narrative novel. It's coming out at the end of September. It's called The Water Dancer, and it is about this young slave named Hiram whose mother, he doesn't have any memory of his mother. And then years later, he starts to drown in this river. And I think while he's in the river, the power saves him. Before, But before he does, he sees an image of his mother and he decides that he is going to run away. So he he has this urgency to run away. This takes place in Virginia. It's all about what happens on his unexpected journey when he makes that snap decision that he is going to leave and what happens to him as he does that and he has decided that he's going to go back and get his family. So I'm pretty particular about slave narratives that I read just because of who he is and the books he's written and the topics that have been of interest to him. I'm curious to see what his take would be, what he's, what, what this will be like in his hands. Mm -hmm. It says it's propulsive and transcendent. So and restores humanity of those from whom everything was stolen, which are pretty heavy words. That book is going to get lots of attention this fall, too. Oh, sure. Kevin Wilson wrote The Family Fang, which I did not read, but he also wrote Perfect Little World, which I did read. This book, I there's there's some elements of sort of magical realism in here, which I, as you know, I'm not really a big fan of. Um, but I was just listening to a podcast and I think it was Catherine, it was either Catherine or Sarah were saying that maybe it was Sarah was saying for that reason too, she was sort of a little reluctant to read this one because she likes her stuff really literal like me, but that, um, it, that didn't bother her with this book. So I, I, apologies to Sarah and Catherine, both of whom I know are going to listen to this, that I can't remember which one of you said that you didn't like that at first, but that it, you got past it. Um, yeah. I would think I would, my guess would be it was Sarah. I think that. Yeah. Catherine I think it was is Sarah. a little bit more experimental. Yeah. Or maybe it was Sarah was nervous about reading it for that reason, but Catherine said not to worry. So somehow it came up in the conversation, but it's about these two friends and um, they, they were friends during college and then, they became kind of estranged after that. But now one of them has reached out to the other one because 
she has twin stepchildren who are moving in with her and they, the twins spontaneously combust when they get agitated with flames igniting from their skin in a startling, but beautiful way. So that's the part of it. That's a little bit um, <laughs> off putting to me that these kids, you know, catch on fire whenever they're unhappy. Yeah. But, that's um, definitely why I didn't want to read that one. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I think I was like, yeah, I don't know if I want to read that. And I, I remember reading about that fact pattern back when I picked this book up in at book expo, but I did really like Perfect Little World. It was not a perfect book, but it was really interesting. And uh, I, I kind of want to give this one a try. So I'm going to go with the recommendation of Sarah and or Catherine, and who said to <laughs> stick with it, be even beyond that, but that it becomes a very funny and interesting book. So that's my that's my pick with this one. So this book is Nothing to See Here by Kevin Wilson. And it comes out on November 9th. Malcolm Gladwell has a new book coming out called Talking to Strangers. He, of course, is famous for Outliers, Blink, The Tipping Point. He has his podcast now called Revisionist History. And he's always exploring the awkward things or little known facts that make society work in ways that you would not expect. So his new book is called Talking to Strangers, What We Should Know About the People We Don't Know. And I think one of the one of the focuses that he uses for this book is the Sandra Bland case. Um, and that's the African-American woman who was pulled over by the police and was taken to jail. I think it was he pulled her over for not signaling. And I believe it was in Texas. She goes to jail and somehow she ends up dead. Like they say she hung herself. It's not clear what happened. But so he investigates this case and he also investigates Fidel Castro and the CIA, Neville Chamberlain and Adolf Hitler, sexual assaults at campuses and television sitcoms and how they teach us about how we relate to other people and whether those things are true or not. So he, this book is all based on the trust. I mean, the trust that is required for society to work, how trust can go wrong in relationships and lead to outcomes that are not positive. I mean, cause you think about the trust that we have to do everything. Like you have to trust, you basically have to trust that you're going to be okay in order to do, to do anything because otherwise none of us would leave our houses. So he he's exploring the, those scandals and the breakdowns that happen when 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 we basically trust people and not for the right reasons or I mean, when you think about it, we are engineered to trust people when you meet someone and they tell you something, then it's just like, okay. He also explores that Amanda Knox case so it's a, mm -hmm. it's several cases that are high profile, interesting cases that have happened probably over the last, well, he goes back far, but there are some cases that are, are of interest that happened in the last 10 years. I've heard good things about this book. I can't wait to read it. I see him because he, we get our mail at the same place. Oh, really? Oh, that's funny. He lives in the West Village. That's funny. This was on um, Sarah and Catherine's uh, book preview too, and it sounded really good. Mm -hmm. 
I just was with people last night that were talking about his podcast. I've never listened to it, but uh, they were both saying how interesting some recent episode was and how much they like it. All right. So your last book. Okay. So my last one, and I'm such a bandwagon person on this one. It's pathetic because, uh, well, the book is called find me by Andre Asiman. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And, um, he wrote call me by your name, which I did not read, but I did see the movie. So this is the sequel to Call Me By Your Name, and it's um, about two characters that were in the movie. Did you see the movie? Mm-mm. Okay, so that this is was a big movie. Was it last year or the year before? I don't remember. And it's Timothy Chalamet and Army Hammer, and it's about the relationship they have one summer in, I think it was the south of France. It was either France or Italy. And um, I guess it was in Italy. And the, it's about these boys. Elio is played by Timothy Chalamet. He's like 17, maybe. And there's an older grad student who's worked with his father, played by Army Hammer, who is spending the summer living with them in Italy in this summer house, because I think they live in the United States the rest of the year. And the two of them basically fall in love, these two men. Um, but they're sort of, neither one of them is like, really out. Neither one of them is sure that he is gay. They just have this relationship. And um, at the end of the summer, Army Hammer's character goes back to school or goes back to the United States and you don't know what's going to happen with them. And so this one is the sequel. So he revisits the relationship between Elio and Oliver. Those are the two characters and what's happened to them later, and then the two sort of cross paths again. So I say I'm a bandwagon person because I never read the first one. I only saw the movie, but of course I want to know what happened to them. (laughs) And so I'm intrigued by the book. Okay, they list this as LGBT literary fiction. I'm not really crazy about these uh, Amazon (laughs) categorizations of these books. And it's weird that they only do that in the Kindle version. Like in the in the hardcover version, it doesn't say that. But under the Kindle version, it says it's LGBT literary fiction. I think we'd prefer to just call this literary fiction, in which two of the characters happen to be gay. Um, but well, I think I'm, you have to be able to find it, though. I mean, if you are someone who wants to read literary fiction that is LGBTQIA, how how do you find well, it? Well, but then put it in. But then tag fiction? them in both of them. Tag them both ways. Don't just stick it as LGBT literary fiction. Like if I were at a bookstore, I would look for this um, in under fiction. You know, maybe you cross reference it and you put it if there's like a. I can't imagine that this book is not also under literary fiction. That would be so strange. Yeah. Well, this is this is just how it was listed in the Kindle set. For some reason, I'm when I'm searching on Amazon, it keeps defaulting to Kindle. I don't know why. Because they want you to. They want you to. I guess. Yeah, but I feel like they usually at least serve me up what I would I usually buy? I don't know. But like if you if you search just under hardcover, it does not show the Kindle version. And I mean, it does not say it's LGBT uh, literary fiction. But if you but when it shows you the Kindle version, that's how it calls it. Anyway, the point is, I'm like a bandwagon person. I haven't earned the right to read this book because I never read the first one because I only am like the movie the Hollywood person. But I'm intrigued enough that I that I 
would like to read it. And this comes I think out. They'll, I, I don't think they, they'll care. They're fine that you didn't earn it. <laughs> They're not going to discriminate. Right. You're right. Uh, this comes out October 29th. And maybe it'll like inspire me to read the other one first because, um, you know, usually I read the book and then the movie. But in this case, it, it could just be the reverse. But it is a really beautiful story. And it's beautifully acted. I really recommend it. Uh, my daughter is a humongous Timothy Chalamet fan. This is the other daughter, not the one who read The Handmaid's Tale, but the other one. So I'll sh- shout outs to both of my kids today on the show. Um, she's a huge Timothy Chalamet fan, and she has seen this movie and adored it. And he just, I don't know, I thought like he was very, um, you know, to he kind of put himself out there a lot in that role. Like not only just this, he portray a gay man but it's also very physical and the two of them are very it's very graphic in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and um i don't know I, I i would i would like to know what happens to those two so i'm going to maybe look into this book when it comes out so it's andre asiman a-c-i-m-a-n i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing that correctly achiman uh but that's the uh that's the book find me and that is my eighth I guess you need to find out what how closely the movie followed the book, too. Yeah. So. I, th- I, think, I think there are some changes, actually. I think I read a book, I read an article that talked about the adaptation between the two. And I think he did tinker a bit with the plot. So I'm, I'm curious. I will, I'll find that out before I read this one so I know what, what's different and what's not. Right. The last book of the episode, which will be the 16th book, because Gail and I did not overlap. We had the potential to on a couple, but it didn't happen. You've got 16 new book picks for fall. And I'm ending it with Edna O'Brien is writing a book called Girl. They say it's hotly anticipated. It comes out October 15th. I want to read this. I will say that I'm skeptical about it. We'll see if it's if it turns out to be a little B because it, it's she's an Irish American author who is writing from the perspective of one of the Nigerian women who was kidnapped in Boko Haram. And of course, Mm. I'm going against my own. It's like a story. It's Mm -hmm. a brutal story of incarceration, horror, hunger, and a hair-raising escape. Unforgettable story of one victim's astonishing survival. Curious about it. There, I don't know if there have been a lot of novels exploring this. And of course, to, you know, for something like this, I feel like I would prefer if it was written from someone who was Nigerian or who has more, not that she can't be informed, but I'm just, like I said, I'm hoping it's not a little B situation where it turns out that I don't feel like she's the person to write this book, but it is coming out and it sounds interesting. So, All right. Well, that's a pretty long list and a pretty long episode. We were going to do some backlist, but I think that yeah, this I think has been we should, we'll save that pretty long. Yeah, why don't we save the backlist for the next show? Because this was quite a quite an episode here. So, um, all right. Well, we're we're excited to hear what everyone else is looking forward to for the fall. Send us tell us notes, in the Facebook tag group. us yeah Facebook group somewhere Instagram somewhere. Just let us know what you're looking forward to. You can and, DM me or Gail. Uh, we will investigate more debut fiction for doesn't have to be fiction debut books for the fall as well as hot fall paperbacks in our later episodes this month until then happy reading we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the readerly report 
you can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at nicolebonia.com and me, Gail, at everydayiwritethebookblog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks. Thanks.